0: Hey, everybody, welcome to our Christmas Eve service. My name is Alex, and I serve as lead pastor at Courtright. So, here we are again, Christmas Eve online. You probably thought last year was going to be the only time, the first and last time in the history of our church, but here's the sequel. And, you know, this year actually feels quite different to me. Maybe partly because I've been in quarantine since Monday, due to possibly being exposed to COVID at our service last Sunday, which was a big factor in why we decided to only have online services Christmas Eve and the next couple of Sundays. Uh, since this past Sunday, I've been confined to three rooms in our home, and I'm pleased to report that one of them is a washroom. So. So for those of you who reached out to me with great kindness through social media offering me a bucket, uh, that was not necessary. (laughs) I'm pleased to report. So right now, whether it's the pandemic that never ends or me feeling a little stir crazy, it just doesn't totally feel like the most wonderful time of the year. Maybe you can relate to that. As we pause together and acknowledge that reality tonight, I believe that the Holy Spirit will draw us into an openness, into a way of being together and a way of receiving the good news of great joy that we celebrate at Christmas, and and to do that in spite of not being together as a renewed reality in our individual lives and for us as a congregation, for those of you who are visiting, um, or maybe for the very first time, you will hear that, grasp that. I hope it's an encouragement to you regardless. We have all these feel-good expectations about the holidays. Um, But tonight we're going to recall that the first Christmas was nothing like that. And the true message of Christmas is so much bigger and packs so much more hope, peace, joy, and love than we can imagine. So we're going to read the story of Christmas from the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. And as, as we hear that story, a story that's familiar to some of us, I want to encourage you to imaginatively enter into the action, almost like you're participating in what's happening. And Imagine you're among the shepherds who first heard the announcement. And one of the ways you could maybe do that is by closing your eyes uh, as I read the passage. Let's pray before we do that. Dear God, we ask for your word of truth and grace to come to us all over again tonight, to renew us, to change us, to encourage us. Holy Spirit, reveal Christ to us tonight. Amen. So we're reading from Luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So this is a transition from The last verse of the end of chapter 1, which talked about the path of peace, into a brutal world of Roman dictators and emperors occupying armies. You can imagine the horror of these lines for the Jewish people. And because of that decree for a census, everyone went to their own town to register, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so the baby is born. Jesus burst into our world. The one foretold by the prophets, the horn of salvation, as we saw last week, The strength of God Almighty, and yet the tenderness of a child. The Word made flesh, made vulnerable, come close. Mary's waiting was over. And our waiting has come to an end too, or at least Advent is over. We lit the Christ candle and we've come through an Advent of waiting in the tension, as we've described it, of waiting for an end to a pandemic that doesn't seem to wanna go away, of waiting through all the stress and uncertainty that we're currently experiencing in our lives, of waiting in the wake of the loss of the last couple of years, and loss is unique to each one of us. And now, here we are. Tomorrow is Christmas, the wonderful day we've been looking forward to. But you know, Charlie Brown, Is not so sure. That's how A Charlie Brown Christmas starts. It's my favorite Christmas movie and part of the reason I love it so much is because it has a melancholy about it, a sadness. And I want us to use A Charlie Brown Christmas as a parallel to what we've read in Luke 2, really as a way to explore our disappointment this Christmas and the losses we've experienced. Like many of us, Charlie Brown is wary of promises about the most wonderful time of the year. He says to his friend Linus at the very start of the movie, he says, I think there must be something wrong with me. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. And so begins Charlie Brown's quest to find a way beyond his unhappiness to understand Christmas. In order to answer this question that Charlie Brown raises about Christmas, we can look back at our reading from Luke. For one thing, what we saw taking place in Bethlehem gives no indication that people were happy. It was a time of enormous hardship. What we see is that the first Christmas was tougher than what any of us can imagine. Mary and Joseph were still dealing with the scandal of her pregnancy, all the gossip that had circulated and haunted them, people looking at them in different ways, and then Joseph's misgivings, his shame, his reluctance, and then a painful journey with Mary, nine months pregnant from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where they knew no one. They had nowhere to stay, And so we see they crash with the animals in a cave or in the basement of a home. I myself have been living in what feels like a cave for a few days, but I had electricity, I had the internet, and I had some pretty great meals that would magically appear under the plastic barrier that my loved ones set up for me. I don't think there was a lot of happiness for the parents of Jesus that first Christmas. Certainly not if you measure happiness the way Charlie Brown's sister, Sally, does. When Charlie Brown goes to her with his problems, Sally is so caught up in her list of what she wants for Christmas that she doesn't even listen to him. She shouts at him, All I want for Christmas is what I have coming to me. All I want is my fair share. And it sounds pretty obnoxious, but... I wonder if there's something there for us, too. We might not want to admit it, but at some level, I think we feel the same way. And we pin our happiness to the lists we've got in our heads and our hearts. For most of us, that doesn't mean we have a specific item on our list that we would believe would bring us happiness. I'd say it's more of a picture of a better life and the sense that our life does not measure up. Whether it's our job or our lack of a job, whether it's our friendships, our financial situation, our family or marriage, the plans we had that didn't work out over the last couple of years or over a longer time frame or some other circumstance we're struggling with. We are discontent and we're impatient. But the Christmas story doesn't talk about happiness. It talks about joy. Good news of great joy. There was no promise that Mary and Joseph would be happy. Instead, they were invited to trust God, what God said and what he was doing. They were invited to receive the joy of knowing he was with them as a mystery that showed up in the mundane everyday reality of their lives. And that kind of joy goes deeper and doesn't depend on the ups and downs of our good days and our bad days. It's a joy that takes the focus away from ourselves and puts it where it belongs. It's a joy that arises from the news that something has happened, something outside of us, something incredible. And we're surprised by joy, too, because it shows up in ways we least expect it to. Now, joy is related to happiness, but it's so much wider and deeper than happiness. And we're invited to find our happiness rooted in the joy of faith. So Charlie Brown asks his friend Lucy for help on his quest to figure out Christmas, and She says that he should do something, get out there, get involved in a project, says Lucy, and she suggests that he take on the role of director of the Christmas play that they, a bunch of kids, and they were putting on. And that leads to some frustration for Charlie Brown as he tries to tell people what to do, as he tries to be a good director, and the kids don't listen mostly because they're too busy dancing to Vince Garaldi's amazing jazz soundtrack, which you should listen to sometime soon if you don't know it. Also, as an aside, A Charlie Brown Christmas is only 25 minutes long, another reason I love it. And you can watch it for free on Vimeo, just do that search and you'll find it there. So suddenly Charlie Brown realizes they don't have a Christmas tree on the set in the play, and... He wonders if that's what they need, and Lucy gets excited about that and affirms Charlie Brown, yes, yes, that's what we need, she says, a great big shiny aluminum Christmas tree. It may sound strange to us, but aluminum Christmas trees were all the rage in the 1950s and 60s. A Charlie Brown Christmas came out in 1965 at the tail end of their popularity. The promise of an aluminum tree is that it lasts forever. It's 100% reliable. Even more, it's the shiniest tree money can buy. It has no pretense of being real like our artificial trees today, including the one behind me. So you can go hot pink, you can go neon orange, or whatever bright, uh, surreal shade you might want to choose. But Charlie Brown picks the smallest, straggliest, and most pathetic little tree on the lot that they go to visit. Linus, his friend, calls it a tree that does not fit the modern spirit. And when they go back to the play, all the kids call Charlie Brown names and make fun of him because of this tree he's picked out. You're supposed to get a good tree, they say. Can't you even tell a good tree from a poor tree? You're hopeless, Charlie Brown. And even Snoopy, his faithful, well, sometimes faithful dog, abandons him. In Luke... We have a story of Christmas rejection and humiliation. That's not what we want from the holiday season. That's not what we expect. But God did not choose the best or the shiniest way for the good news of great joy to come into the world. He chose an unwed teenage mother. He chose shepherds who were the most despised workers in that culture. How is that real in your life? How do you feel left out or alone this Christmas, maybe even abandoned. As you wrestle with that, this good news of great joy is for you too, for you most of all. God has chosen you and he loves you. Just as God chose Mary, just as he chose those shepherds. They're the ones God chose and still chooses. The ones he came to and still comes to. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, had been waiting for his salvation for thousands of years, waiting for the Messiah. And when God's salvation showed up, they did not recognize it. A God of the greatest power and majesty came in the tiniest, weakest form. And God points that way. He points to the manger, a feeding trough. And he says, here in this lowly place is where you will find joy. One of the hardest things about not being together at Christmas is that we don't see the kids, right? As adults, we have our struggles, not least with our cynical hearts. But we love the wonder and joy in the faces of children at this time of year. In a few minutes, we're going to watch a video that will remind us of that and give us a glimpse of some of our courtright kids who have grown up a fair bit, maybe since some of you saw them. But it's always worth stopping and remembering the bigger picture of this story that centers tonight on the baby Jesus. As Mary gained a son, another verse comes to mind. A verse that speaks of loss rather than gain, of God's loss. And that verse goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave up his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. In an act of the most amazing humility, God made himself small and vulnerable. He gives himself. The father sends away his only child in order to save the world, in order to express his love. He does all of this knowing that these scenes of baby Jesus that we sing about, Meek and Mild, The Sleep on the Hay, will bear no resemblance to his destiny, because Jesus was born to give his life. He came to die on the cross so that we could have the hope of true happiness, the joy, peace, and love that comes in the presence of God as his spirit fills us with his goodness and leads us on the path that he shows us that we must follow. After all of Charlie Brown's friends mock and ridicule him for buying such a terrible Christmas tree, he is ready to despair. But Linus steps in, Linus sucking his thumb, clutching his security blanket. He says, quite simply, he says, let me tell you, Charlie Brown, what Christmas is all about. And he proceeds to recite Luke 2, verses 8 to 14 at the very heart of our reading today. And that seems to turn things around in the movie. And in the end, the kids come together to decorate the scraggly little tree. But it's the reading itself that is the answer to Charlie Brown's quest. That is the heart of the message of this secular Christmas movie, which has more of the gospel in it than any other Christmas movie that I can think of. It's the reading itself that is God's word, and that is an announcement of great joy that cuts through everything else as an invitation to us to continue on our own quests beyond our unhappiness, beyond our self-preoccupation, To look for Jesus, to find in his story a deeper truth, and to follow him and know him today, to have a relationship with him. The shepherds, when they heard the good news that first Christmas, hurried off to find the Savior. How would you say that you are responding to the gospel, to this good news in your life? Are we hurrying off to fill the void in our lives with all sorts of things, with distractions, with the busyness of this season, with new plans we're making to make up for the old plans that didn't work out? Or are we leaning in to this news, finding it in the lowly place where it began and seeking Christ just as the shepherds did, I want to encourage you to make some time tonight, or tomorrow, to be still. To seek the only one who can meet our expectations, and to rest in his goodness, and to receive his love. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. In that birth, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, We are given a hope that will see us through this pandemic and through every sorrow and on into the joy of faith in Christ and into the peace of those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest. Amen. Now we're going to see how some of the kids of Courtright would answer Charlie Brown's question about the meaning of Christmas, how they remember and understand the story of Christmas.